Great. Um, just to interrupt there, we are going to have our reading, which is from Genesis chapter two. Um, if you're in the building, it's on page two, um, otherwise on the screen. So it's Genesis chapter two, starting at verse 15. Um, chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Brilliant, and uh, thanks so much for reading the passage for us. If you are in person, do keep your Bibles open because we'll be referring back to the book of Genesis during our time. So last week we made this, we, we had an overview of the book of Hebrews last week and we made this really key observation that our confession, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is enough enough for the journey for the rest of the Christian life. And we also said that the confession about Jesus Christ, our Lord, is a confession about his journey. Um, he's a man who was in heaven, came down as a man, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again and ascended back into heaven as Lord. But more than that, that journey, it helps us. It helps us. But the question that we're going to think about today is what do we need help Four. You see, we're in our series in the book of Hebrews, and we're going back to Genesis, the Exodus, and Leviticus to get a worldview, um, to get God's worldview on what is wrong with this world. And so the question we are considering today is what is applied? What is wrong with humanity? And I wonder what you guys said in your discussion groups, uh, because no doubt we have problems. Uh, we are in the midst of a pandemic. Or perhaps from a financial standpoint, the year of 2022 is a year of inflation, rising cost of living, exceeding our rise in wages. Then again, we have other problems. I was meant to bring an illustration here, but I forgot. It was a newsletter from Labour Lewisham. I put a newsletter to my mailbox and the quote reads, Lewisham is tackling the climate crisis Sorry, Lewisham Labour is tackling the climate crisis in Lewisham. And so there's a climate crisis in Lewisham and Labour is fixing it. Very impressive. But many would agree uh, that there is a climate crisis, one of the big existential threats facing our generation. I think about COP26 last year in Glasgow, world leaders coming together to deal with this crisis. And if I had brought my illustration, um, it would also show another, tech, another issue that labor is fixing, racial equality. Again, another hot button issue for our generation, issues of equality, racial equality, gender equality. So these are big problems that our world is facing. But let me suggest this is a question really worth getting clear on. You see, because understanding our plight, it affects everything. It affects how we understand the world, ourselves, and what the solution is. 
And so if we are clear about the predicament that humanity is in, we will be aware of the help we need. Otherwise, we will be sticking band-aids on broken legs. However, we're not going to go to labor news to get our insights. We're going to the Bible, God's word, to help us understand what is our plight. And the key text for today is Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Let me read it for you. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, what is our plight? Our plight is death. Far worse than economic downturn, far more dreadful than systemic racism, far more disastrous than climate crisis, our plight is death. We are dying, we are facing death, we are dead. Well, if you're following the handout, we are on point number one, our plight is death. And actually, we just have one point today, our plight is death. Again, let me read verse 17 from Genesis of chapter 2. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, you might say, wait, hang on a moment. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That very day. But here's the problem. See, Adam and Eve... They didn't die that day. If you go to chapter 3 of Genesis, they are cast out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground, but they didn't die. So was the serpent right when he said, you will not surely die? Or did God lie? Well, the answer is no, God didn't lie because they did die that very day. And the real issue is this. The question is, what does life actually mean? You see, life in the Bible is more than just oxygen, food, and water. Life is much fuller, more loaded than we understand. You see, because life, according to God, includes a mission and a goal. A mission to be like God and a goal to be with him. To be like God and with God. A mission to be in God's likeness. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 1 verse 26. 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh, do you see what God is saying? A man is made in God's likeness. In what way? Man was meant to have dominion and rule over the earth as God has dominion over the earth. Man was meant to fill the earth as God filled the earth in creation. See, life in one sense is be God-like, to be like him, doing what God was doing. So I wonder what you make of this exalted view of humanity. Uh, it's far more precious than atheists would value humans. Uh, you have a bag of chemicals wrapped in skin versus an image of God. 
So there you have it. Life's mission is full of potential, a job to do, to be like God, to rule the world. But notice as well, life includes a goal, the goal to be with God in his presence, to join him in his rest. A number of us will be familiar that God worked six days and he rested on the seventh day. And so if men were to be like God, we are meant to follow the same pattern. Man was created on the day six, and so man was meant to join God in day seven in his rest with him. So life includes the goal, God's rest, relationship with him, working six days, joining him on the seventh. So again, life is not just oxygen, food, and water, but a mission and goal to be like God and with him in his presence. Really impressive diagram over there that you can see on the handout. Um, uh, and um, it's God and then man and man ruling over creation. And if you like, a life is being with God in his mountain, the mountain of life. And so if that is life, being God and with, with God in his presence, that explains death. You see, because Adam and Eve, they died that very day. Go to chapter 3, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. At the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And cast out of God's presence is death. So humanity died that very day. Life outside God's presence is death. Work outside God's presence is death. The cultural mandate is a hollow vocation. Cast out of life, our plight is death. Physical death. That's an obvious point. We die. I had a friend uh, that I had a conversation with over this week, and he said, well, COVID, it didn't expose the fact that people die. You know, everyone knows that we die, but it really exposed the fear that people have of death. You think about the extent to which people went to to make sure that they didn't die. People fear death. See, our plight is physical death. But not just physical death, but also a moral death. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, there's too much to unpack in those verses, but one observation I noticed the serpent's offer, it's very sneaky, it's to be like God. You see, mankind was already like God 
But yet the serpent here, he offers the same offer to be like God. He seems to offer something that they already have. But he's also very sneaky because the way he's offering it is in a twisted sort of way. You see, the offer here is to be like God, knowing good and evil. Just to be clear, the knowing here is not to know for a fact. It's just not information knowledge, but it's a divine knowledge, the ability to decide good and evil. So there you have it. There are two options for morality. Does God get to decide good and evil? Or do I get to decide good and evil? Two opposing ethical values, two belief systems, two moralities. What do men and women choose? Put verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. See, at the very moment, Adam and Eve, they bought into the belief system of the serpent. Now, humanity pressed the subscribe button on the values of the devil. And so there's a disordering of creation that happens at that very moment. I go back to the diagram, you see you have creation represented by the serpent, that being above. Men and women listening to creation and disregarding God right at the bottom. And so we say, I'm God, God is not. I decide, God does not. See, it's a disordered value system, according to the serpent. And the rest of the Bible describes this differently. In Romans, it describes futile minds. In John, it describes darkness. In Hebrews, it describes it as slavery. Our reasoning, our thinking, our minds are corrupt. Our desires, our emotions, our hearts are crooked. We call good bad and bad good. And that's a huge problem, isn't it? You see, if our mental faculties, if our emotions are corrupt, then the solutions we come up with could be very dangerous. See, it's a really big problem in the issue of gender identity, hot button issue. Here's not a place to comment on whether it's right and wrong, but it's worth questioning the solution that the LGBT movement gives. And then repeat, this is not commenting on whether it's right and wrong, but really the answer that they give. Because the answer that they give is you are who you feel you are. You are who you feel you are. But here's the question. How do we know what we feel is right? You see, if our minds are futile, if our hearts are darkened, can we trust our feelings? Because not too long ago, going with how you feel gave reason for men to engage in the excesses of the Me Too movement. And today, those acts have been, have been identified as vile and rightfully so. So how can we be sure that what we feel now won't be deemed wrong in the future? Let me be clear, I'm not saying that all our feelings are wrong, but there's disorder after the fall. And we know that we can't trust ourselves to always know what is right or wrong. You see, humanity has experienced a moral death. We subscribe to the value system of the devil. God is not good. 
i and essentially decent. See, Adam and Eve, they died that very day. Humanity died that very day. They died a moral death. But there's more. There's also a cosmic death. If men and women has disordered creation, if the order is done wrong, that can only mean that the world is dying. The right order for the world to flourish is God, man, and creation. If you flip that around, creation is going to fail. Man unable to perform his role, creation is in decline. And so way before the 21st century scientist has predicted the crisis that our world is in, chapter three of Genesis, describe the disorder that our world is in. The end goal of this world is destruction. World disorder, it cannot flourish and it's facing a cosmic death. One more death that humanity experience. It's not really explicit here in Genesis, but let me explain, since the fall, there has been a tension. On one hand, you have God's original design for creation, but in present, creation is in disorder. And the question is, will God allow the current disorder to continue? Will he allow the devil to win? The answer is, is no. You see, there will be a reordering of creation to put things right. Evil will be cleared away, the good will stay. The big illustration of that in Genesis is the flood. If you think about it, the flood is great. It's a reordering of creation. It sweeps evil away from the world, but it's bad. Whoever is on the wrong side will also be swept away. And that's the picture of the final reordering of this world. God will wipe away evil from this world and hum humanity faces that final death. So let's try to summarize how bad is our plight. I think it's very bad. It's death. Death in the fullest sense of the word. Death, not just life away. It's life away from God's presence. Physical death, the fear that grips so many of us. A moral death, our minds, our values disordered. A cosmic death, this disordered creation, the world in crisis. And the final death, when God reorders creation, evil will be wiped away. Verse 6, 17 again. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, I wonder what you make of this assessment that the Bible gives. And let's be upfront. Let's agree. It's not a pleasant assessment. But the question is, does it ring true? Does it have explanatory power? We all die. This world is dying. Morally, we are a mess and we will be held to account. And it is true. It's both bad news, but also good news. It's bad news because it's not pleasant, but it's good news because if we know our plight, we know what help we need. You see, because if our plight is death, what we ultimately need is not less CO2 emissions, as good as that is, not better political leaders, as useful as that may be, not to trust our feelings more, as crooked as they are. If our death is our plight, what we need, what we really need, is resurrection. 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those true who fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angel who he helps, but he helps the offsprings of Abraham. It's Jesus with his resurrection life who rescues us from death. In Hebrews, we get the full picture of how we are rescued, but maybe for what we are trying to achieve over the next few weeks, uh, we are going ahead of ourselves because our rescue from death, well, it starts with a promise in the book of Genesis, a promise made to Abraham and his offspring. Genesis, Genesis 22, when God speaks to Abraham, this is what he says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, I will surely bless you I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so the rest of the Bible unpacks this promise. And next week, we'll dive into the book of Exodus to understand more of this rescue. But for today, uh, the main takeaway is this, to understand the extent of humanity's problem, that our problem is death. And understanding this changes everything. It changes how we understand the world, how we view uh, the people around us, our colleagues, our friends. And for the Christian, it helps us to see that Jesus is a solution. Because if death is a problem, what we really need, what we really need is resurrection. Why don't I pray? For surely it's not angels who he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Father, I praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that his, his historic death and resurrection helps us today. Thank you that he is the answer to the death and this world. So we give you praise for him in Jesus' name. Amen.